Thanks for listening to Brokerage Insider. This week's episode was recorded live during the Explode Virtual Conference on Thursday, September 24th. We look forward to returning to our regular scheduled program soon, but until then, enjoy this session. In this episode, our VP of Product, Katie Ragusa, interviews Melody Foster, the Chief Experience Officer in charge of marketing and technology for Corcoran Global Living in the California and Nevada area. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Sure thing. So, Thanks for the invite. I'll give everybody- And nice to see you, Brenda. That's like, I'm like, oh, I get to follow Brenda. That's a tough act to follow, but nice to see you. Yes, we, uh, we've got some powerful women here uh, talking this afternoon. So a um, little background on Melody, if you're not familiar with who she is so far. She is the Chief Experience Officer at Corcoran Global Living, which is actually the first ever Corcoran franchisee and uh, Chief Experience Officer. So as CXO, you handle, let me see if I can get this mouthful, um, branding, marketing, advertising, lead gen, lead nurturing, PR, communication, web development, all things tech. So pretty much every manifestation of the brand and marketing in, in any uh, medium. So um, it, that's a lot and you've got a ton of experience. So um, what brought you here and, and, and how did you become uh, the lead on all things um, experience uh, at Corcoran Global Living? Um, so, you know, my background prior to Corcoran GL uh, or CGL as we call it, because it's a mouthful to say the we full can, thing. Uh, <laughs> we can, can say CGL. It it's, okay. it's not a real estate conference if we don't um, throw the acronyms. Right, right. Um, but, but prior to that, I mean, Katie, you and I go back several years at this point now. Uh, I was with Zephyr Real Estate, which was the number one indie in San Francisco. Um, and even prior to that, I was at Paragon Real Estate, which was also a boutique firm in San Francisco, and then at Pacific Union, um, also based at San Francisco, which became California wide uh, prior to becoming part of another larger company we all know about. Um, but most of my background was in marketing. And at this point, I don't think there, anyone can truly say that there is a real dividing line between marketing and technology. Um, we leapt over that hurdle a long time ago. And I think there was just the understanding that um, there's a difference between technology as far as where the cables go into the wall versus <laughs> the technology that users use on a day-to-day basis. And, and so, we do still, of course, have people that manage all of those sort of systems, but you really need to have someone that is looking at it from the marketing, the brand perspective, the usability, um, what our agents are actually using and the platforms that we're developing. And when you start going down that road, um, it becomes clear that you can't look at the marketing and the technology without also looking at the operational aspect and how it impacts the day-to-day. And that's when Zephyr actually um, had decided to let's blend this all together. And rather than just making this so marketing specific, um, we decided to do the whole CXO role. And when Corcoran Global Living happened, uh, when we launched that in February, Michael Mann, who is our CEO, um, agreed. Uh, he definitely is vision forward with that um, and sees that as critically important to have that level of integration so that we are presenting the right tools and the consistency to our growing base that we have. Mm -hmm. 
and with that history and experience, you see um, the times we're in and the growth you've had and the changes you've had, you offer such a unique perspective than um, in, you know, uh, a broker owner who's selling day to day from that technology and marketing and brand story side. So we're actually gonna talk to Melody about um, that change in brand and the growth um, that's come after that. Um, so a lot of stories today about markets booming and businesses growing and recruiting at all time highs. Um, um, even right now. So I, I love that spin that we get to give. Um, I don't want to say the word unprecedented <laughs> times anymore, um, but it's a, a good positive um, on that. So um, let's talk before you were Corcoran Global Living CGL. You were Zephyr Real Estate, um, right. multi-decade history company. I mean, strong yes. roots in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, good, strong following group of agents uh, that... Um, just had a really good rapport, clients that were loyal. Um, when you changed to Corcoran Global Living, how do you let those people know that they should stick around? You're the same company, the same people that they trust, new name. How do you present that to them? Um, you know, that was probably the part that we spent more time on than anything prior to the changeover. I mean, there's all the stuff that's related, the, the practicality, right? of a change like that. We have to update materials and signage and all of that stuff, but we spent more time heavily looking at making sure that the change that was happening, the brand that we chose, mm -hmm. was going to be one that still aligned with who our agents are and how they see themselves, that it would feel like either similar enough style-wise or an improvement. So it couldn't be a brand that felt like it was going to be a step down or it was going to be diluted or it was going to be something that was a mismatch. Um, and that was really, really important. But even more than that, we need to make sure we needed to make sure that they, our agents understood that fundamentally who we are and the support that we're offering and the team that's behind them was going to be consistent through the process. Mm -hmm. And so we have some really great leadership. Um, we continue to have really great leadership. That was a part of the whole transition from day one is that we weren't going to have that turnover of leadership, that it was really important for everyone to still have a vested interest, to still be a part of it, to still be in those leadership positions and connecting with agents because they have spent a lot of time developing rapport and trust um, and are really relied upon. And so I think more than anything else was just, well, it was two parts, right? It was letting them know that and talking about that, but Ripping then it was also... Time. <laughs> walk in the walk, right? We actually had to hold true to that and not just say, oh, everything's great. It's going to be fine. And then 30 days after everyone's like, I can't find my people anymore. What's going on? And instead it was like, oh yeah, I love the new materials. I love some of the new platforms. I love what we're doing. This is great. And I still have all the people that I've known and liked and trusted over the years. Everything and I love huge. is still here. And there's exactly. some that you've introduced and it's not. Exactly. Right. Great. Yep. Um, so you did move their cheese a little bit, but into a better way. We did. We did, but we didn't steal it. So that's important. <laughs> there you go. Um, so now that you're affiliated with Corcoran, you're, you're a franchisee of Corcoran, um, what have you been able to um, benefit from or leverage that brand name? I mean, first, it's a beautiful brand. I mean, there's just, there's no denying that. I know that's one that, you know, even well before we were Corcoran, anytime I'd be at any kind of conference, I was always checking out their ads, their materials, you know, staying up to date with them online, all of that stuff. So it is a beautiful and established brand. Um, having access to the very talented team of people 
um, that we do have that's behind all of that brand, the materials that are furnished, the advertising that's out there. Um, just it's that amplification, right? It's helping that recognition spread and grow by having so much that's already furnished and available to you. Um, Zephyr was hugely successful, you know, within that small market they were in. We'd been, uh, our founder started the company in 1978. It's like him and three buddies started it. And then by the time we did the transition in February, I think we were at 330, 350 people, somewhere in that range. Um, so we've been like slow but steady growth over the years and really well known and respected in the community. Um, and that's important, but getting to a broader audience, which we've done with the growth, we wanted to have a brand that was recognized outside of San Francisco. And because of both, and I clear disclaimer, Barbara Corcoran is no longer associated with the Corcoran brand, everybody knows. Um, <laughs> but well, the name is recognized. Corcoran, right? you know Barbara, you know Shark Tank. <laughs> right, right. You know Shark Tank. Um, but the people in the real estate industry, even if consumers or clients are not as familiar with the brand, realtors are familiar with the brand. Mm -hmm. um, and that's our client first and foremost, right? That's who you have to be looking at every single day. Is this something that your agents can get behind because they're your customer. Their clients are consumers that are out there, but our clients are always going to be our agents of furnishing them with what their best tools are and, and getting that in front of them. So being able to leverage something that our agents already recognized, had familiarity with, had followed for years, um, felt comfortable with, and were excited to be behind that brand was a huge part of the success that we could actually make this happen. Yeah. So. What is it like transitioning from an indie to the other side? It's a mixed bag. <laughs> it's a mixed bag. I'll be honest. There it is. I'm probably not supposed to say that, but it's true. Um, it's great in so many ways because we are furnished with just you know, we had a crayon box of 16 crayons and now we have the giant Crayola box of 128, right? We have the whole caddy. We've got all of that, which is awesome. But you do relinquish some level of control, right? Because before, um, when it was Zephyr, I think it was 2013, I actually did a rebrand for Zephyr, which was a terrific, although lots of sleepless nights process to go through when you're initiating a whole rebrand of a company and rewriting the style guide and redoing materials, everything from the letterhead to website and everything in between. Um, but there's not that level of control at this point. So on the one hand, that's like, oh, I wanna be able to make the changes I want. And on the other hand, it frees up a lot of time because you're already furnished with a lot of great stuff um, and you're not having to start from scratch. And starting from scratch, especially if you are a boutique firm or even just a regional one, is a really expensive and taxing process to go through. Um, and it does make it hard to be competitive when there are significantly larger organizations that are able to turn through innovation at a faster pace because they have deeper pockets. So being able to sort of leverage that behind you and lean on that um, definitely has been a bit freeing in that way because it's one that we can trust in and it already has so much good assets for us. Right. And, and you chose the brand for a reason because it resonated with you and you get to step out Absolutely. of that. Um, whether it's the best decision or a really good decision, you get to move on and, and do the other things that you're best at on top of it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so um, you, I think you alluded to growth, but let's talk a little bit more specifically about the guys' <laughs> experience. Yeah. You threw out a number, you were 300 something agents. Um, 
that feels like a lifetime ago, but it was actually not that long ago. Um, Seven so months ago. <laughs> you've had extreme growth. Are there any numbers that you can share with us of that versus now? Yeah, uh, you know, Zephyr on its own, you know, we ranged around 2 billion in sales volume per year. Um, sometimes slightly under, sometimes a bit over on that one. Uh, and like I said, you know, somewhere between the 325 to 350 agent range. We are now, I think, a $4.5 billion company. So more than doubled as far as sales volume. Um, and our agent count is at something 750, I want to say. Double, yeah. So, um, yeah, and that's not even counting our referral agent. So it's, it has been fast growth for seven months for sure. And beyond that, and I think this is an area where it doesn't get factored in a lot of times because you look at things like sales volume or GCI or agent count, but there is a whole extra nuance when you're talking about going into different market areas as well. So we used to be San Francisco Bay Area only. Um, we now have presence in Southern California in both San Diego and Riverside counties. And then we also do in the Reno Lake Tahoe area. So we're also growing geographically in addition to just office count and agent count. So um, that's been a lot. And as you know, some insights in um, some more in the weeks and months ahead. So right. we're not done uh, yet. Yeah, I'll let you mention whatever you want to about that. But um, you just kind of glossed over new markets. And I think, yeah. you know, it's, coming from the industry, um, we all kind of take that, but let, let's spend a little bit more time about what it's actually like entering a new market. So we all know probably there's data involved. You got a new MLS to, to work with and approvals there and the data side of it, but there's also the people side. So you have this strong, strong group from the Bay Area and you've got agents in Reno, Tahoe and, and Southern California and all over the place. How do you make them feel welcome and introduce them and embed them in, in your group? I mean, part of it is really, I think Brenda touched on this, you have got to have the best people on your team. I mean, just nothing replaces that, right? There's no other salve that you can do for it. There's no technology that can solve that solution. You have to have great people and then you have to trust those great people. And a lot of what we've been doing, it's not just about pitching the brand and getting people you know, to agents or out to the public. It's also about bringing staff in and the support people that are behind it so that they're a part of it and not just part of it like, you know, there's a new sheriff in town, here's what you have to do now, but really bringing them in so they understand the culture, they're part of the team, they understand how important collaboration is, which is everything. I mean, I have a new guy in San Diego that uh, became part of the team, you know, two and a half weeks ago with that launch. And every time we have a roll in, and this is a funny thing and it seems so basic, but the people in that office, I actually set up my Gmail so that every email that comes from the principal people in that new region gets a red star on it. Yeah. Because I know that they absolutely, absolutely have to have responses quickly in that first there's like 50, 30 days. people waiting this to hear. a lot. Yeah, yeah they, they're getting questions. It's new for them. They're gonna, they're trying to wing it as best they can. They're trying to be supportive and nothing makes them feel like they're better supported than having those quick responses. Nothing is leaving them out on the limb and then they're able to continue being that front line and helping their agents. So those agents are reassured. So that's a huge part of it, quite honestly. And that goes for everything. I mean, that's for Matthew Borland on our team who makes himself a resource for the sales managers that are out there in the different regions. It's really collaborative in that way. 
it starts prior to launch, but it's that first 30 days after we've gone into a new market area, it's, it can't be a siloed effect. It is all about collaboration and ongoing communication for sure. And then we also, and this started because of COVID actually, we've started doing um, town halls twice a month, we call them. Um, once a month, it's a agent panelist discussion where we have agents from our different market areas talking about some particular aspect of the market. And then once a month, it's a guest speaker, which can be on a variety of topics. Sometimes it's, you know, technology oriented, sometimes it's legal stuff, different things, but that's a company-wide event. We keep them brief, we keep them timely, and it actually gets everybody participating at one thing, not regionally specific, but here's the whole thing. So you're seeing benefits, people are coming together, they're participating, they're asking good questions, they're realizing that they're part of this growing thing, which is exciting. Um, and I think that's also been helpful as well. So um, just going back, you mentioned the word roll-in. So um, just to make sure everybody's on the same page. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> is adding a, an, a whole office that formerly uh, was a different brand entirely and folding it into the Corcoran Global Living brand, right? Um, right. So you didn't just have one giant one of these. You've had lots um, in the past, I don't know, I can't even remember however many months since February. Yeah. yeah. Um, You've got like a well-oiled machine going now. And I'll say that I know nothing's perfect. Um, and internally, I, I don't know how, how you feel the process has um, improved, but watching it from the outside, I mean, to repeat that process, sometimes you do multiple in a day, two in a week. I mean, you guys are just killing yeah. it with those. So what has gotten you to this just process that you have in place to be able to just execute? Well, and I'm going to give a shout out to, to you and Eric at this point. So Tribus <laughs> is our partner for website and this was not a planned softball. Everybody this is not a paid moment, but it's true, but you do have to have great <laughs> There's no money. <laughs> I know no money's changed hands. Um, no, but you do have to have great vendor partners that you can rely on for this stuff because sometimes we have months of planning and sometimes things happen far more quickly. Um, so you do have to have those workflows figured out. You have to know who your go-to people are. Everyone has to be well-equipped with, they have to know how much authority they have so they can act on decisions quickly so that you're not getting things bottlenecked. I think that's an important part of it. Having good vendors you can rely on and bringing them into the fold as well. So you're not treating them like an outside uh, vendor, you're treating them like a partner um, so that they actually can be a partner for you to make these things successful. I think that's a really important part of it. And then the other part, and this was, this was a request that was initiated by our, our VP of tech, Hud Bixler, and it was brilliant, which was after uh, our first one, because we kind of had a pause of some of these when COVID first happened. So our first one after we kind of decided, okay, let's keep pressing forward, which was back in June. Um, we did a postmortem on it. Let's get together. Where do we need to fine tune this? What was it that could have been better? What should we have started sooner? That was the biggest one. Which part of the process needs to be started earlier? Because anything that we have control over, right? Like if it's something where it's a matter of me making an update to someone's bio on a website, I can jump in at 10 o'clock on a Friday night and do that. That's easy. Anything that's reliant on third parties that are outside of my control, the manufacturing of a sign or the approval of an MLS, two of my things that give me heartburn, um, those ones you need to start as early as you can which is harder because of non-disclosure stuff, but um, fine tuning that is important. Next. 
is these are very hush hush too. So not only are you dealing with some things in your control, some things outside of your control that you're coordinating with, let's say, um, you also can't publicly say anything about it. So you're a little bit handicapped there. So, um, yeah, what's the strategy you, you bring in a close group and, and everybody knows their marching orders and that's pretty much it. And I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, this is just anecdotal aside, which our first launch, which was the Zephyr one, right? Um, and the Reno Lake Tahoe one with Oliver Luxury Real Estate there. Um, in February was particularly tricky because I didn't even get to bring in my marketing team. So oh. stuff that I would normally be giving to them. Um, I was like, that's right. I still know how to do design work on a listing presentation to do this. Like I haven't done that myself oh, in a long time. I have, I have great people for that, but uh, there was a lot of that. And even something as simple as um, our print vendor, who's wonderful and knows our brand probably better than I do. Uh, Cause they're just on it. And I would normally just send them an email and just like, here's what we're trying to do. And send them a list of addresses and they would just make it happen. Mm-hmm. Their lead graphic designer is the father of one of the people on my team. Wow. So I was like, okay, I can't even use my regular vendor people right. on this one because there's no possible way I could ask him to sign an NDA and not talk to his daughter about it. Yeah. Not mention yeah. it. So, uh, so that one was tricky. Since then, we have vendors like, you know, all these, you know, our sign companies and, and you guys and all these different ones in place so that it does help that inner circle team. Um, so that we can execute on this stuff far more easily than that first one. That first one was heavy lifting. The one since then, um, yeah, it's it's definitely become more of a well-oiled machine. You guys make it look easy. So um, <laughs> in the midst of all the process and procedures and legal and tiptoeing, like there's so much um, that you have to keep in your brain, but you're a creative person. So how do you stay innovative with all of these to-do lists and things that sometimes just can be so mundane and and like checklist type things. How do you say innovative? I'm not a creative person. Um, That's my, don't tell my boss. Um, I I live in the creative environment and I rely on creative people and I am far more a systems person um, that I really want to make sure that we have, we're solving for something. I'm a problem solving person. That's probably the core of what I am. And that's actually something um, I was just talking to our CEO about just the other day. When we're evaluating new platforms, when we're looking at like new designs, when we're doing anything, it doesn't matter what it is. The first question that has to be asked before you even take step two, three, four down the line is what problem is this solving? That has to be it. And if it doesn't, then why are we wasting time on this? Because you can't do something just for the sake of doing it. Oh, well, let's do something just to be different. Well, are we needing to have this type of differentiation right now? Is this actually going to help our agents in some way? Is this actually going to benefit our clients in some way, buyers and sellers that are out there in the marketplace? Or is it just creating noise, extra work, confusion, um, being the something shiny, you know, new for the sake of new, which I think people fall into that trap a lot of times, right? And you get, you wind up getting like tech fatigue from your agents. I know I've seen that happen, right? Where like, I don't want to look at one more platform. I don't want to install another app. No more logins. <laughs> no more logins. No more, you know, now I have a 10th tab open in my browser to have to go to. So um, the creative is, it's always driven by 
that filling the need and then yeah then you have space to get creative when you know that you're doing that so i would say that's always what's at the forefront of it and the second sort of piece of that where you find the space to still be creative um, with all of this going on which is it's back to that collaboration thing um, you can't assume that because you're bigger that you've figured everything out mm -hmm. and our san diego one again i'm going to go back to that one because it's just the most recent is such a great example of that because I think they have 85 or 90 active agents, um, boutique size, single county, primarily where, where they sell. They go into the surrounding ones a little bit, but it's primarily San Diego County and the coastal stuff in there. Um, and they've already brought some great ideas to the table on, you know, uh, stuff related to culture, some ideas on doing better networking across different market areas that we're in so that we give our agents a better way of uh, cross-marketing and referral network within our own California, Nevada space that we're in. So you can't for a minute think that it's just going to be top down. It has to be something where everyone's talking, communicating, collaborating, you're willing to listen. Mm -hmm. You lose that, you're done. I'm so glad you mentioned solving a problem and solving a need because I think a lot of brokers allow themselves to be under the whim of the agent of I need this flyer and I need this and um, it may not be for any reason and, and we don't step back and, and we're serving all of these individuals but not serving ourselves as a company. So um, I think at the beginning you mentioned something about making sure you're producing assets that agents need. So how do you get to that need? Does your marketing team come up with the assets that you need? Do agents request them? Is it a mixture of both? Like, how do you validate that it solves a problem before it gets your time? It's it's a mixture of both for sure. Um, and there's, you know, always the litmus test that you have too. If you get a request from one agent, um, and maybe they're really innovative. Maybe you're just, I can go, oh, wow, this person is always thinking too Oh, I get ahead. suggestions all the time. I'm like, dang, I wish I thought of that. That was a good one. And, and there's other times when you get it, when you go, oh wow this is so off the wall i probably need to dig in a little deeper to figure out what it is that's going on with this person and solve the issue that's at the root of this because this seems left field um really but actually i i've had that conversation i have a friend of mine who's a developer and i've worked with him on some projects just kind of on the side before and i would every now and then make the mistake and i'm sure you're familiar with this one of telling him how I thought a fix should go, <laughs> or how part of, like, you should do it this way. I manage it to the coders for everybody. So yeah, I don't yeah. tell them how. <laughs> I like, he's like, don't start that way. Tell me the goal you're trying to get to. And uh -huh. then I can figure out the path. Let me be the there. expert in what I know. Yeah. Let me be the expert. Um, and so we try to do that with agents as much as we can. I mean, you start off by furnishing them as much stuff that you know is proven and good and works well and it fits the needs of what 80 to 90% of their stuff is, right? And 80 to 90% of their stuff has to do with their clients and their properties. That's what they're doing. They're out there forging relationships, nurturing relationships, and actively marketing and selling the properties, and hopefully stocking some stuff in their pipeline for what's next. But that's the majority of what they're doing. The rest of the stuff they're doing, if you can solve for freeing up some of their time by providing like transaction coordinator services or something like that, so they're not getting mired down in things, that's great. But if you give them most of what they need in the toolbox, they're not reinventing the wheel each day. They're hopefully not going to go rogue then with your brand. You were asking that question with, with Brenda <laughs> before, but that's, it goes Everybody to that same lines. 
Yeah. I mean, if you give them enough goods that to me, you don't want to create stuff from so easy that (laughs) they're like, oh, well, you know what? I'm just going to use this because it'll take me a lot of time to create something that won't look as good as this anyway. I'm going to stick with it. And then when they do actually ask for something, you know, it's an ask that you need to listen to. It's an ask that's important because if all of this other stuff um, hasn't hit the nail on the head, then it's time to have the conversation. Like I said, you get some people that you know every time they send you a request or a question or a suggestion, it's gold because they have a history of doing that, right? You're like, I gotta pay attention to this person. They are, they're always thinking ahead like that. And other people that you know, mm, there's probably, there's something at the root of this one and I need to uncover what they're actually trying to solve for here. Um, so it's a combination of those things yeah. for sure. Let them bring their expertise and what they need as a broker, agent, realtor, um, and let your team solve the how of right. whatever it, it may be. Exactly. Um, so how have those efforts shifted um, or have they? Because you already had a very large digital web presence prior to COVID, but um, what changed? Has anything changed? Uh, as far as which part of that? Your, that one's open for however <laughs> you want to spin it. Um, so, uh, Zoom meetings, you said the town halls. I, th- I think that was a big yeah. one that have introduced, but um, how you deliver marketing to realtors, has that changed? I mean, I think there's a huge part that where before we could look at things and we could decide to just one-off some some things sometimes, right? When it was just separate, like, oh, well, it's okay if we're reinventing the wheel or we're doing a slight iteration. We do have to look at things, and this is true for any company that gets to a larger size, right? On how can I make this scalable? And what I don't wanna do is take away service or the ability to have um, more customized things, which has always been a huge thing that we've offered and continue to offer, which is we do have a marketing team behind our agents um, that are able to actually help them with custom designs and giving them support and all of that. So I don't wanna take that away, But what I need to do is that everything isn't reinventing the wheel. So we need to have better processes in place so that as you get bigger, it can scale. It's not just, oh, you know, we used to be able to have everything systematized. It was 90%, now it's only 80%, now it's only 70%, now only 20% of our stuff is using these systems and everything is this custom creation each time. So a lot of that has to do with um, the platforms that we offer and then the communication that we offer, right? And I'll give like, simplest example of this. So our Facebook presence, um, which have all these different indie brokers who all have very strong feelings about their somewhat small Facebook followings. And I say small, I mean, in the 2,500 to 5,000 range, we're not talking about Facebook pages that have 50,000, 100,000 million views. We're talking about reasonably small because they're all boutique brokerages and everyone feels very strongly because we worked hard to develop that. And having to get people to, not just agents, but marketing teams and broker owners who felt very close connection with that, to merge that together into this one branded Facebook page. And they're like, we're losing our people. I'm like, you're not losing them. You're gaining and now part of this greater pool where every time we have any posts, it's now reaching this broader audience. So, so much of it has to do with education, right? Because we had that with one of our, with one of our companies that came into the fold where they were just like, well, we used to post happy birthday things on our public Facebook page that was really, really small. I'm like, that's 
charming, but that's probably better for a Facebook group, not your public facing page. And when you get to a certain size, you have to understand that the, the value that's here is now that when you post your, you know, San Francisco East Bay listing, it's being seen across broader market area. You're reaching a network of agents that you weren't reaching before. You're reaching clients that you weren't reaching before. You're encouraging referral business that you hadn't been able to reach before. So there's some trade-offs. And so a lot of it is just about educating, educating people on um, where those benefits and differences are that, and that it's not loss. It is a change. It really is. So moving them over to your, um, frame there of how you're saying it's not a loss it is a gain um is it just does it take time to prove it or do you have some stats and metrics to say look here's what we do as a, a marketing team we produce this and here's what happens and show them that i mean we haven't yet but what we've been we've been doing really anecdotally at this point right we've already seen a lot of uh market to market in-house referrals happening as a result of this and high-end ones at that i mean I think two days after uh, the San Diego launch, we had a $4 million referral that came from Northern California to Southern California, which is great. That's substantial. That was something that may not have happened without that connection being made. I mean, I've had San Francisco agents, and this is a very common feeder market, um, looking for second homes or investment property in Palm Springs. That's a very common one. Now we have people that can actually represent them in that area, and that's important. And so they're hearing about that and seeing that when we have our regional meetings and our um, town hall stuff, they're able to share that. But we're actually looking at some internal channels. And Katie, you don't even realize that you softballed me on this one, but you did. Um, the try this chat feature <laughs> that we have through you guys is actually another mechanism where we're opening additional chat channels for our agents to be able to do that cross-market promotion so that we can have a luxury listing channel so that there is more of that and we are encouraging that. Um, so it is training, it's education, but it's also furnishing them with something where they can do it themselves. It's not just top down. We're encouraging more of that agent to agent and then you don't have to convince anyone of anything. Then they see the value of it when that's happening that way. The internal, the happy birthdays, the communication between the team internal, um, get it off of Facebook, hopefully, because the agents are doing yes. other things on there. Yeah. Um, the public presence intact. intact. So um, have you seen agent engagement with your tech uh, at, at a higher number since we've been kind of socially distanced and, and relying on uh, everything online? For sure. I mean, within the first couple of months of shelter in place, it really spiked, right? As people got used to exactly what we're doing right now, this Zoom thing. I mean, how many times have we heard, oh, sorry, I was muted. Oh, you're muted. Can you turn it on? Like in the past six months, yeah. it's just like, oh my gosh. Oh, my battery died or I couldn't get dialed in, whatever it is. So yeah, there's definitely been a tremendous increase just from that alone. And I think, um, you know, we still have full support staff working behind our agents, but I think them not having the office experience right now, where there's someone physically sitting in front of them to go to, to just ask their quick questions, um, has made a higher influx of tech questions and that sort of stuff as they're using those platforms and everyone's a little bit more separated and isolated right now. There's definitely been more of that. How do you sustain that now that they're used to it or even grow it further? Like what are the plans now that agents are engaging it, with it? Um, yeah. How do you keep that going? I mean, so with, with our Northern California operations in particular, 
um, I would say, and I know regulations are so different, not just state by state and county by county and city by city, it's even household by household and person by person sometimes. Um, but Northern California as a whole is really uh, in, in the space of what I would call exercising an abundance of caution when it comes to COVID stuff and maintaining um, more work from home kind of thing for a longer period of time and opting that direction more often than not. Um, our offices are open and agents are dropping in and now and then, but there really seems to have become, it's beyond COVID at this point, I would say in that people have found an affinity for the time that has freed up by working from home and not sitting in traffic and being able to like, you know, take the call in PJs and stuff like that to the degree that even when someone says, oh, uh, we can do our in-person sales meetings again. Um, San Francisco's like, we're done with that. We're not doing those anymore. Uh, we might do quarterly ones or semi-annual or something like that as part of a networking or team building or morale or feeling good or bringing together different market areas. But for a weekly or bi-weekly type meeting, um, we get better attendance and better engagement. People have clearly expressed their preference for it because it actually fits around the lives they're leading. Mm -hmm. So we just, where it makes sense, I, I think certain things where, you know, people miss hugging. So you still want to bring people together um, at opportunities when you can, again, for build, team building, for morale, for referrals and all that stuff. But having a meeting just for the sake of meeting, we're telling people they have to come into the office just for the sake of coming into an office, that, that ship has sailed. And so you just have to, yeah, you have to provide the support and you have to provide the tools and, and just get used to that's a reality now. So looking back now, seven months later, after all of this growth and all of the lessons that you've learned, um, yeah. what are you most proud of that you guys have created? Um, quite honestly, I'm just proud that we're growing rather than contracting because what a year this has been. And uh, I was just reading an article, I think it was on Inc. Magazine the other day, that it was the most dismal thing. All it was was a list of businesses that have closed or filed for bankruptcy um, this year. And even beyond that, even just once you've had to dramatically downsize or contract in some way, um, it's heartbreaking, it really is. And, uh, and so I count my blessings and I do feel um, really proud of smart business decisions that have been made this year on when things do have to be cut or contracted. It's never been with people and it's never been in our service level. And so when you have to tighten a belt or do things um, to get through some of those tougher times, we've always prioritized people in that situation to retain that and keep that intact. I'm super proud of that because we haven't lost people during this time, which is really important. Um, we haven't just kept doors open, so to speak, I guess virtual doors at this point, but we've grown during this time. And um, that's not easy. And it definitely took everyone. I mean, that's not a marketing and technology solution. That's everybody. That's everyone from the sales managers to CEO and the vision of the company and all of it. There was a fierce commitment to that. And there's no replacement for that. For sure. So I think you guys represent what a lot of brokers in the room may aspire to be is uh, turning it around and growing during this time. So if there is that broker sitting there feeling low and my business has been declining, I really want to grow. Um, yeah. Is there any advice you have for that person? Oh man. You know, I, I always think of it and I talk to our management team about this sometimes when we're talking about recruiting and stuff. 
And I feel like we're so good at talking to agents about how to grow their business, but we're not really always good about talking to ourselves as brokers on how to grow our business. But personal. <laughs> the fundamentals are about the same though, right? It's not that different. If you're talking to an agent and, and I, you know, I'll have sit, have a sit down consult with you know, somebody sometimes like, okay, so what are you doing to stay in touch with your clients? You know, I have them in my CRM and they're subscribed to a newsletter. Okay. Well, that's a newsletter staying in touch with your clients. What are you doing to stay in touch with your clients? Like when's the last time you called them or texted them or stopped by or wrote them a handwritten note? How are you like providing value to them? Are you checking to see if they're okay? All these different things that you talk about on that level just expanding that to a brokerage wide level, right? That you're actually reaching out, you're touching and connecting with people. You're doing that not just with your own, but with your other connections within the community so that you're a resource for them too. And that was one we were doing really early on in COVID and it sounds like a sales gimmick, but it was really genuine to be honest, which was people were just calling and checking on each other. And what that does both for retention and for growth is really important because there was no pitch at the end of it. Oh, well, if you're thinking of changing brokers, it was just like, how are things going? Mm -hmm. What do you need? What's, what have you been, what obstacles have you been facing and being more involved in our, you know, local association and staying connected in that way and not holding back information, but actually being a provider of information. So you're a resource during those times. Um, I think there's a natural inclination when things are hard to hold things tighter to your chest instead of being more open. It's hard. It's exactly the opposite of how we're all feeling in that moment a lot of the times when, when there's so much fear there. But if you can continue to be, uh, I don't know, I guess a thought leader and sharing that information and putting that out there and just making those real connections, the same type of connections that we encourage agents to do, um, that can make a pretty big difference. For sure, yeah. Um, well, I know I've learned a lot today and, and uh, we've had tons of great content. So. Um, before we go, uh, Melody, why don't you tell people where they can find Corcoran Global Living and, and you? Sure. So uh, Corcoran, C-O-R-C-O-R-A-N, just like Barbara Corcoran, gl.com is our website. So you can find us there. Uh, all of our social links are there too for Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. So you can find us in all those places. Um, find me on LinkedIn or you can email me at Melody dot foster spelled out right there on my little thing at corcorangl.com. Yeah, and I know you guys have more uh, Roland's in mind. So uh, if you are Next that week, who, uh, <laughs> things yeah. fit the brand and want to reach out, you've got Melody's information now. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, you know, um, you know, not to make the over pitch to everybody on here, but we are in California, Nevada, but we're not limited to those areas. So anyone wants to chat i have all kinds of good things to say great uh, well thank you so much melody that that's been really helpful it was great uh, uh just having a conversation with you and learning from you sure thing thanks for having me again really appreciate it sure all right so we're gonna let melody sign off and then i'm gonna bring my trusty co-host eric segman back on here and um he's gonna just wrap everything up for us with uh michael hellickson um and give them a huge thank you um, to the whole Club Wealth team for hosting us all today. So I'm going to turn it over to Eric and Michael. Uh, you muted, Michael. 
There yep, you go. I just realized that Mr. Technology over here, you know, can't even figure out the mute button on my own. It's freaking hilarious. Uh, that said, I don't see Eric on, so I'm just going to dive right in uh, and, and, and maybe Eric can jump in uh, as, as I wrap up here and, and finish this up. But I want to share first and foremost with you, I'm going to bring you guys some value really quick. Uh, I've only got about five minutes to do this. I promise to keep it as concise as, and, and succinct as possible. Uh, Club Wealth, as many of you know, is uh, the number one coaching company in the team and brokerage space. Uh, so I figured, what can I do? What can I, in, in five minutes, how can I deliver the most value to the broker owners on the call? Uh, and I want to start with this. Um, we get a lot of broker owners come to us. They got seven agents in their brokerage and they want to grow. And in their first year with us, they'll grow to 100, uh, 120 agents in their brokerage, and they're finally profitable. We've seen them come in at, you know, they've got 100 agents or 60, 70 agents, and they grow by 200 agents a year uh, once they're working with us. Now, I'm not saying that as a plug for Club Wealth as much as a plug for the system that works. Uh, and so I want you to pay close attention because if it's reliant on a person, you're, you're destined to fail. When it's reliant on the system, you know, systems run business and people run systems, right? And so it's, and by the way, I credit that to one of my coaching clients. Uh, many of you might know Mike uh, Bernier and Long Doan. Um, and uh, as an example, when Mike and Long came and started working with us, they had 77 agents in their brokerage. In their first year with us, we recruited just over 200 agents and have recruited over 200 agents every year since. The key for them is that they put systems in place that run with or without them. So they've got people running those systems and here are the systems that you need to have in place in order to grow. First and foremost, you need to recruit, retain, and revive. Write those three things down. You need to recruit, you need to retain, and you need to revive. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, you have to be recruiting all the time. And I, I love it when somebody comes to me and says, oh, but Michael, I just want to have a small brokerage with a few really high producing agents. Well, good for you, Cupcake. I'd love that too. Like, wouldn't that be great? I would love nothing more than to have a 10-person brokerage and each one of them does $100 million a year and all I got to do is support them. But that's not reality and that's not where it starts. Can we get to the point where we have 10 rock star agents in our brokerage or 20 or 30 or 40? Sure, we can, but we don't get there without consistent recruiting. You always will have attrition, period. doesn't matter how great you are. It doesn't matter how awesome your value proposition is. And I don't even care what model it is. I don't care if you're a fee model, if you're a 100% shop, if you're a MLM model, if you're a traditional model, it doesn't matter what your model is. People aren't buying your model, okay? And if they are, you're already, you've already got a problem because if all they care about is your splits or how much you charge, you're a commodity and we don't want you to be a commodity. So that said, no matter how good your model is, no matter how great all of the other stuff, your value stack, all that stuff is, no matter how great that is, if you don't recruit on a consistent basis, you are doomed to fail. You will always have attrition. People have stuff in their lives. There are reasons why they will leave that are beyond your control. Uh, and so recruiting has to be therefore a habit that you have uh, on a daily basis. You have to treat recruiting with the same level of importance that agents have to treat lead generation. Next is, ret is retention. We got to retain as many agents as we can. And that comes back down to culture. So one of the things that we at Club Wealth call it is addition through subtraction. And what does that mean? You're going to have some people that come into your brokerage from time to time that don't belong there. Now I'm looking at Sarah, who's on, on our team here. And Sarah, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. 
But Sarah, let me ask you this. Do you think that there are other places that people on our team could go and make more money? Absolutely. And yet we have a ridiculous retention rate. Would you agree? I would agree. Yes. Why is that? It's the culture and it's the, um, it's the quality of what we do and the level of, um, what, what's the word, the level of trust and the level of commitment that um, everybody, every single person here puts in every day. And not just to the company, I hate using that word company, but not just to the company or even to the team, but to each other. And so this is what I want you guys to hear. You have to build world-class culture in your brokerage. If you fail to build world-class culture, you will continue to be a commodity. You'll have greater attrition than you need to have and your retention rates will struggle. All right, so we gotta recruit more, we gotta retain more, and then we gotta revive. And reviving means we need to increase the production of the people that we have. Um, and that means if they're, if they're doing one transaction every six months, let's get them to one a quarter. If they're doing one a quarter, let's get them to one a month. If they're doing one a month, let's get them to one a week. You know, but we need to help our people be successful. And people, especially the more successful ones, leave us because the circle of opportunity that we provide for them is not as big as their capacity and their talent. And so as their capacity and talent grows, we too need to grow the circle of opportunity for those people in our brokerages. And when we do that, guess what? That's when the magic happens. I'll give you the perfect example of this and then I'll wrap up. Perfect example of this is teams and whether or not you embrace teams in your brokerage. All too often I hear brokers say, oh, I don't like teams. They're too much hassle and blah, 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 blah. Listen, you want to know what teams really are? Teams are actually a recruiter in your office. The team leader is a recruiter in your office that you don't have to pay. They're not only a recruiter, but they're also middle management for you. This is someone who's going to stave off a large percentage of the challenges and questions that you would otherwise get and or have to pay someone to field for you. These are being fielded by someone that you do not have to pay to field them. And your brokerage will grow faster and more productively and more, um, more in compliance. And we need to be very concerned about compliance nowadays, uh, but also more in compliance than if you just tried to do it the old fashioned way. Uh, and so I would suggest that you need to embrace teams at a high level. All right, that being said, uh, if you are interested we have uh, at club wealth over 80 coaches each one of our coaches sells more real estate or in the on our broker owner side which we have we have we're the number one coaching company in the broker owner space by a wide margin our broker owner coaches all own bigger brokerages than the agents they coach or the brokers they coach so if you have a hundred agent brokerage we'll have you coaching with somebody that's got 200 agents if you've got 200 agents we'll have you coaching with somebody who's got 800 agents and so forth uh, and so that said one time per year we will offer you a free call with one of our coaches. Doesn't cost you anything and it's not a sales pitch. Now, I want to be clear about this. If you wanted to find out about coaching, that's, you could ask on that call, but you'd have to ask. They're not going to just start telling you about it. Um, but what the call is really designed to do is they're going to look at your business. They're going to pick it apart. They're going to ask you questions, figure out where you're at, what's working, what's not working, uh, where you'd like to be, what you're willing to do to get there, what you're not willing to do to get there. And they're going to help you put together a roadmap over the next 12 months of exactly what you need to do over the next 12 months to move the needle toward those goals. Um, and again, if you want to ask about coaching, you're welcome to, but they're not going to cram coaching down your throat. It's not what we do. We want you to come away from that call saying, man, if I get to do that once a year with these guys, I'm doing it every stinking year. If you would like a call like that, 
right now in your screen. I want you, actually, let me, let me make it easier for you. There's two ways you can do it. If you want to do it right away, and if you want to make sure that you're, because we're going to have, a, we're, we're booked out about a month to two months in advance. After a conference like this, we usually end up booked out about two months in advance on these calls. We do about five to 600 of these calls a month. But we, we don't have the bandwidth to do more than that right now. So if you want to be one of the, you know, if you want to be higher up on the list, in your chat right now, um, just put your name and phone number and email address in there, or, uh, or even just your name. Just say, actually, you can just say strategy session. Uh, we've already got your contact info, so we can, we can figure it out from there. Just type in strategy session. Sarah will take down your name, and she'll make sure we reach out to you. If you want to do it more anonymously, if you're worried about the world seeing that you want to do a call with us, uh, which there's no reason to be ashamed or afraid, then uh, I'm going to give you a number to reach out to. I want you to contact 206-300-1000. Again, that's 206-300-1000. Contact that number right now, um, and we will make that happen for you. Um, and again, you get to do that once a year. All right. That said, Eric, sounds like it's time to turn it back over to you. Thanks so much, Michael. Uh, and we had a great day and, and uh, I think we learned a lot. I'm not sure how much you were able to sit in here, uh, but uh, uh, we had some great content. I was just going to wrap it up and, and kind of go through the day and, and, and um, re-mention some of the big points I heard because I've got pages. I don't know if you can see that real well because it's white background, but I've got pages of notes that I was taking uh, while I was listening to some of our speakers and, and even uh, listening in while Katie was interviewing some of the speakers. And I think the big thing that I got uh, to me, there was a few things. One is data uh, and brokers should be collecting their data because, you know, as a, as a coach and as what you guys do, I'm sure that's probably one of the first things you guys look to do when you talk to to uh, folks is is to ask them where they stand currently, probably right. Uh, Michael, are you are you still on there, or did I lose you? I think he had to hop off. Okay, but uh, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, collecting your data, figuring it out that we talked to that with David Gumper about that. We talked about second home marketing and, and how to really recruit and retain agents. Um, with Adam from uh, Scenic Sotheby's, and I, and I think his conversation was pretty darn similar uh, in terms of recruiting agents with all of the brokers that you heard on the call today. Mark Choi from, from Climb, who, who started Climb and built it and, and talked about, you know, recruiting to a particular niche and finding the right people that, that weren't jerks and, and, and wanted, to, wanted to be there. Um, you also heard, I think, the same thing, both from uh, Melody and from Brenda, two of the largest brokerages um, uh, in the country. Uh, certainly, Melody's company will be in the top 15 at, by the end of this year, and, and Brenda's is certainly in the top 15 brokerages in the entire country um, this year, too. So uh, if you're a broker out there, sit, think about your culture. Think about the things that you re recruit to or think about what makes you unique, because I'll tell you folks, you cannot recruit on commission. It's something I mentioned earlier. When you recruit on commission, you're gonna lose on commission.